Welcome to The Bridge, fun conversations on culture, life, and everything in between. Welcome to The Bridge. We are a show which connects East and West. My name is Jason. I'm originally from sunny California, now living in beautiful Beijing. Today with me is Alex. Hello, everybody. This is Alex Sure, I am from the Northeast part of China. I'm also living in the same city Jason is living in. Find us where you get your podcasts. If you like the show, then consider pushing the like button or giving us five stars. Suggestions, comments, anything you would like to share, email us at welovethebridge at gmail.com. We love the bridge. Before I knew, you know, the directions, the cardinal directions like Nan, Bay, uh, Dong, uh, Xi, yeah. I didn't know. I, I knew that the northeast area of China, which I didn't know why, was called Dongbei. Yeah. So when I'm uh, getting off the subway, every time I get off the train and I need to think about which corner I'm going to, I always think which way is Dongbei and to to de- de- define which direction I'm supposed to go now. Oh, that's it's interesting. Become how I find my way around. I guess the sound <laughs> because, the sound just rolls off the tongue a little easier. You know, I was. It's also in the United States we have one plate we call the South. I mean, we, there people say Midwest, but not as much. But everyone knows the South. Mm. It's like the place in America is definitely called the South. And so, like that's also you know, like Dongbei in China, you have other people with other directions, but Dongbei <laughs> is Dongbei. It's you know, people don't talk about the South as Nan. No one says I'm going to Nan. <laughs> <laughs> but they do say I'm going to well, Dongbei. So. This is where I know this is not what we're talking about today, but just very interesting way of looking at the geographical information that we have uh, in China. Sometimes when I run into other people from Dongbei, and then always get amazed, and I'm like, oh my god, I just why are there so many Dongbei people? And then <laughs> my friend very calmly and 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 cruelly pointed out. She said. She said, "You silly person!" Because when we talk about Dongbei, it's the northeast three provinces plus part of Inner Mongolia. <laughs> That's not one place. Yeah, yeah. I was I was confused from. about the the Mongolia part. Yeah, they just sound because Mongolia is like also to the west because Inner Mongolia is really big. <laughs> yeah, it stretches almost across. Uh, China. So a lot of yeah. it where the population is a bit dense is very close to the Northeast. So what they, a lot of them, when they speak Mandarin, they have a very, very identical Dongbei accent wherever they're close to. And they have a lot of uh, comedians who come from Inner Mongolia, other Dongbei cities. Mm. Well, today we're talking about a tomb sweeping festival. Piles of burning paper was trending in December as China haters sought to slight China. Claims were made folks were burning their loved ones in public. I still can't believe the bold-faced lies that pass for knowledge on social media. With tomb sweeping day approaching, the perfect opportunity has arisen to debunk these false claims once and for all. Why do Chinese folks burn mounds of paper called joss each year on special days? And why does all of China take a holiday to sweep tombs. As a Chinese person hearing this, I don't even know how to react anymore with this type of uh, imagination of what's going on. The disinformation on... So this is why people shouldn't get their news from Twitter. You know, I love Twitter and I do get some of my news from Twitter, but you know what I also do? I confirm it on real websites. Exactly. Like Twitter is not a source for news, guys. Like it's a great place to get started, like Wikipedia. Hey, you can get some basics there, but then you need to go deeper because stuff on social media is 
wrong a lot of the time. So, you know, people buy this. My wife just bought a bunch of it because Tomb Sweeping Day is upon us. Yeah. And she bought a whole bag full of this money. And we're going to go out in the street and, and, and on Tomb Sweeping Day and put it in a pile. And she's going to pray and make a chalk outline of a circle and burn this very large you know, amount of Joss paper, which sends magic vibes, I guess, into the afterworld. Mm. And uh, but the problem is a lot of Western people. You know what I saw? Yeah. I saw a Chinese person who grew up in China who posted this on his social oh, media. Man. And he has 200,000 followers. I'm not going to say his name, but I was just shocked. He pinned this to his profile. So since December to now, he has this pinned to his profile, people burning Joss paper, wherein this man claims that people are burning bodies in public. It's just ridiculous. He clearly is spreading disinformation. So we're yeah. going to go into that. But before we get to this bizarre twist, I want to read some of our fan mail. Oh, yes. So let's how do about that. I go first and you'll go with them. There's two of them sure. that we pulled. This says, Dear Madam or Sirs, Jason Smith's Cyrus Jansen and Alex Schur, I was fortunate to listen to your The Bridge program. It was indeed illuminating and shined a lot of light on China. China, please keep up the good work of passing Development Bridge all over the world. Aww. I'm not going to read the entire thing because it's quite long, but thank you so much. I'm going to try to say your name. Awigodwa. I mean, if we could hear from you. From Nigeria. If we could hear from our listener in audio mail, and you could also help us pronounce your name correctly. But it's always very heartwarming to receive emails from our listeners. And some of them are, you know, in praise of the work we do that we we love and appreciate and we're grateful for. Mm. And some of them will also point out things that we could improve and do better. And we also welcome that feedback. So um, oh, I want to add one more thing. Yeah. I feel always. Godwa mm. mentions where he he or she is and says, I'm a Nigerian university graduate of electrical and electronic engineering mm. and would like to further my education in China. So I just wanted to add. Yeah, that's I, I, when I read that fan mail and I felt like we did our show did our job of introducing China to people who didn't know it that well. And then apparently there are more people that are trying to come over to the side of the world. Well, I got a social media request recently for uh, information about how to come to China to study at university. We're going to have a guest on in a few weeks who came from Jamaica and studied in China to get her medical degree. So that would be a perfect opportunity to learn from her. That's wonderful. So we have another piece of fan mail that we've selected. Alex, yes. would you like to read it? Yes. Uh, this, this fan said, um, uh, this person said, one would say that the world needs peace, stability, and prosperity. And to achieve that U.S.-China friendly and good relations are key to what we hope that these two economic and technological giants will solve their problems and the differences they have. And we look forward for good, happy and prosperous future. Have a good, have a mm. good time. Thanks. <laughs> All right. So, um, Alex, what's Joss paper? Why do people burn it? And what does it do? It's a very, very old tradition. First off, the tomb sweeping day was a very thoughtful translation of what this festival means to mm. most people in China. And, and one of the most important activities on tomb sweeping day is to, as you can see from the title, to sweep the tombs of your family members, your loved ones, so that you could mm. pay tribute to them. You could tell them. You know, show them your um, that you miss them and that you're still thinking about them, mm. like many other cultures in the world. 
in different ways, shapes, or form. But this is how we do it in China, right? We go to the tombs, we sweep it, make sure that it's clean. It just happens. Mm. It just so happens that traditionally we do it on the same day, right? But the name of Tomb Sweeping Festival, if you translate, if you look at the original Chinese name, it actually sounds more something more like the Pure Brightness festival because mm. it falls in early april Qingming, yeah. yeah like clear and bright it falls in early april when spring first approaches and the weather is it's getting a little better and it's like everything this year it's april 5th for those of you who want to yeah follow along yeah so during that time period as other parts of the tradition of the tomb sweeping festival people also make certain food that comes from a seasonal vegetable um it's a dessert by the way and people also tend to mm. go um on a hiking or like a short little trip to places where the green is coming out to kind mm. of commemorate the start of the real spring so it's more than just burning joss papers and when we do do that is because again from a very long history you don't always have the 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 you know the the time and the the money or whatever it takes for you to go to the tomb of your family members but you also mm -hmm. want to send them your love and and um also want to find a way to communicate with them so burning papers is a way of what we believe happens to people after they pass away we know we tend to think that they are in a, a different world and then one way for us to send what they need would be burning uh, money some people do it a little more Shouter. Shouter, yeah so some people do it a little more specific they will uh, buy certain items made of paper or other materials that could be burned mm -hmm. and they'll send that to them as well so that's what it means it's really just a way to carry our love and emotions to to deceased family members and uh, whoever that you want to do that to on that day. There are a lot of, that we can talk about for this festival, but I can guarantee you it's not it's not about burning people. Honestly, it's so ridiculous, Jason. I can't even yeah. I can't even wrap my head around it. It's so ridiculous. But it's a very it's actually not a very sad festival. I know if you never heard of mm -hmm, it, mm -hmm. if you just hear the, the the name like Tomb Sweeping Day, it sounds very solemn. It sounds very serious, and maybe it's sad. But this is more like a very peaceful day where you know people do all of the activities that i i just mentioned i feel like every time we talk about uh chinese uh festivals mm. like this i just i just like have to bring some poems up you know because <laughs> again <laughs> we're going to enjoy some chinese poetry today brought to you by alex sure yeah here's the, but here's the thing um i guess i know i shouldn't say this all the time and i've said it already three times in today's episode but china has a, such a long history so all of these festivals have been around for so many centuries or even millennia people have already written everything about it so there's always a poem for basically every single festival that you could think about if you want to be famous in china for all time all you need to do is write a poem about a holiday and you'll be remembered for thousands of years probably probably um but here's a poem i don't know if i'm gonna read the english translation of it to mm -hmm. kind of convey sure. the that kind of atmosphere of what it is like. Mm -hmm. And then I'm going to read the Chinese version just to show off and then let you hear, let our dear listeners hear the beauty of the Chinese language. This poem is one of the most famous ones, right? Mm -hmm. So the meaning of it, and there's one of the very wonderfully translated version by the, the late translator Xu Yuanchong. It says, 
A drizzling rain falls like tears on the morning day. The mourner's heart is going to break on his way. Where can a wine shop be found to drown his sad hours? A cowherd points to a cot's mid apricot flowers. Is that sad? That's not very sad. No, I think it's just descriptive. Right? It's very descriptive. That's how we convey emotions is all through descriptive language. It's like a story. Yeah. Kind of. Through exactly. The it's Oh, Jason, you're very you're getting very good at capturing the the spirit <laughs> of the Chinese literature. Thank you, teacher, teacher Alex. You're welcome. You're a very good student. So this poem, of course, it was written by one of the greatest poets in Chinese history named Du Mu, and he's from Tang Dynasty. Um, mm-hmm. And the Chinese version goes like this, the original poem. And the name of the poem is called Qingming, which is a uh, clear brightness or pure brightness, like we just said earlier. Mm. And the Chinese version goes... 清明时节雨纷纷，路上行人欲断魂。借问酒家何处有？牧童遥指杏花村。Applause. Mm. <laughs> Yay! Thank you. No, but um, but that's the thing. It describes one person who's on his way to sweep the tombs of his family. But it also we also like to use that poem to describe the overall atmosphere of of this festival because it mentions the rain, you know, the very mild drizzling and the the apricot flowers that start just start to bloom around this uh this time of the year. And this person is just talking to a little kid that's uh, hurting his all of his animals and he was just very innocently pointing him to where he needed to go so it's very peaceful you know in a way it's mm-hmm. almost like this is a time where everybody as a community share their feelings mm-hmm. so yeah you're listening to the bridge So I wanted to point out some parallels. You know, I think it's not always useful to do so. Oh, this is the... So, okay, for example, some people refer to Suzhou as the Venice of China, mm. but I don't think that's accurate. But I do want to say that maybe tomb sweeping is like bringing flowers to a grave because that's what people do in the United States, mm. for example. So people bring flowers. Sometimes they will sweep off if there are like leaves on the top of the, the marker. Yeah. Then they will leave flowers there. Or some people will pour alcohol there. You know, it depend. You know, depends on the individual. But you know, these traditions of honoring the dead exist in all societies. Mm. I, I do find paper burning is actually trending, which is bizarre. So if you go to like YouTube or TikTok or Twitter or whatever, and you look up, look this up, burning this paper for your past relatives is something that's actually becoming diffused. Mm. People are adopting this around the world. I went <clears throat> in preparation for this show a couple weeks ago onto Amazon mm. and I looked up this paper and in America you can order it and you can order stacks of this paper. Money, most of them have uh, the Taoist, what is it, the Jade Emperor yeah. on the face yes, of it. Yes, yes. But you can get boats, you can get like Mercedes cars, you can get like all kinds of things that you can burn mm. to pass to your past relatives. Another thing that's separate from this that I'd like to pass out is that people see this all year round. It doesn't just happen on this holiday or the other one in the fall. Mm. Where it's like the the ghosts passing back into the into the river of mm. uh, I, I can't remember exactly when it is, but it happens any day. And because if someone passed away recently, they will people will burn money at that time. Yeah, for the you know for the passing, and they will also sometimes honor them every single year on the same day. So here in Beijing and Wuhan, I've I've noticed that. 
occasionally on different days, there will be circles when I walk in the morning, chalk circles with like something that has been burned. Or you'll see people burning uh, small pyres of this Joss paper at night. And that is because their uh, loved one must have passed away recently, or it's to mark like one year since they've passed. And so that's why foreigners in China will see, oftentimes see these large pyres of burning Joss paper, which I, I think is a very fascinating, magical way to pass wealth to the afterlife. Because yeah. if anything, many, many, many cultures have used fire to bridge, you know, the idea, the concept of this world and the next world. Fire is kind of like this magical substance that even when you understand the chemistry of it, it's it's actually really quite mystical and, and complex anyway. Mm. But I think it's it's interesting also that many Chinese folks it seems to me, mm. also use this as kind of like a, it, it, because it's a national holiday, yes, it you is. get the day off. Yeah. And so people also use this as an opportunity to go to the park mm. and to fly kites yes. or to go to the movies or to, like you said, go hiking. Yeah. So like a lot of, you know, in America, we get like a holidays, for example, like Lincoln's day. Mm. I don't know if it's his birthday or if it's like the day he passed. I don't actually know. So, but people, people don't go honor Lincoln on that day. People go to like the lake and they drink a beer and they like have hot dogs and like go swimming and stuff, you know? Yeah. It's, it's the, the day off, it, you know, any opportunity to get out of work and go spend time with your family is going to be taken advantage exactly. of by So in China, I wanted to ask you, yeah. besides honoring the those who've passed, what are some kinds of things that maybe Chinese folks generally do on this day each year? So again, like every single festival we've talked about, the traditions and the, the favorable activities in the South and the North are going to be different in different parts as well. Because essentially, I don't know if you knew this, but the the tomb sweeping festival that we are observing today is actually mm-hmm. a combination of two sort of different festivals. Mm-hmm. Right. So I didn't know. So that. there is a Qingming festival that started over, I think, 2000 or more than way more than 2000 years ago. And the clear and bright day, it was very important solar term for us as well. Like, you know, we have 24 mm-hmm. solar terms in China that mark the important uh, times of a year for, mm-hmm. for farmers in the beginning. Right. It was first just one of the 24 solar, t- uh, solar terms. But later on, because it falls so closely to this festival called Han Shi Festival, which is basically means the uh, which basically means the cold food festival. Mm-hmm. There's a custom of the Qingming festival back then or even today. It includes tomb sweeping and offering sacrifices to ancestors and eating cold food and going on spring outings. Or some people like to, you know, there are a lot of tree planting going on, um, which is also uh, one of the ways. Yeah, which is also one of the ways to, to mark your respect to um, your deceased family members. And I like that a lot. I think we need to export I know. This I know we should. Imagine if everyone in the world every year planted some trees because of any kind of holiday. Yeah. That would be a fantastic way to grow the amount of trees in the world. Yeah. And then um, on top of that, like you mentioned, there's kite flying and then some old uh, activities that people don't really do that much now, which is like, you know, uh, willow planting because it's nobody plants willows anymore. Um, and then they play, mm. they play, tzu, they play tzuju in the in ancient times, which is uh, 
actually, I believe, I keep believing that that's the original form of soccer, of football. Mm. So a lot of like activities, like you said, because of the weather, because of the time of the year that it falls, it's a lot of uh, this type of activities you can do. And then among these activities, tomb sweeping and eating cold food, these are actually orig- like original customs of the Hanshu Festival, the cold food festival. And Hanshu Festival, Hanshu Festival or the cold food festival actually started as a way to commemorate this this person, this like philosopher mm-hmm. kind of person in Chinese history called Jie Zitui. There's going to be a lot of names, but he was serving the 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 Jin Dynasty prince called Chong'er, and again, this is many thousands of years ago. And then, but because Hanshi Festival and the Qingming Festival, they're integrated into one festival, so a lot of the customs are kind of just combined. All of the ones that I mentioned above, they come from both festivals. That's what stuff people would do on the state depends on where in China you're from. You might be you might be doing different things. For example, from where I'm from in Dongbei, actually, I think we mainly just burn joss papers. But in the South, there's a very popular food I mentioned earlier. It's like the green leaf uh, rice balls and it has like sweet fillings mm-hmm. inside. And that's very, that's a very important food item to have to commemorate Qingming Festival, the, the Tomb Sweeping Day Festival. I think it's interesting that, you know, I, I think we probably don't have a specific food in America for every uh, national holiday or like, you know, hot other dogs. kind of day. Well, yeah, you could say, oh, Lincoln Day. Okay, hot dogs. Okay, 4th of July, hot, hot dogs. dogs. But in China, like every single holiday or special occasion is linked with a very specific food. So I think that's very fascinating. Yeah. In fact, some holidays have multiple kinds of food. For example, Lunar New Year, Chinese New Year, like each day has like at least one or two or three different foods attached with it. So like- It's a lot like, to follow. It's, it's a lot it's, to follow. Yeah. All I remember now is all... All I can remember is you can eat dumplings whenever you want, but on the on the <laughs> if you're not sure, just, just eat, eat dumplings. more dumplings. Yeah. So, um, but on the seventh days, you know, like the seventh day, mm-hmm. uh, the seventeenth day, the twenty seventh day, that's when you mm. eat noodles, and those are my happy days because wow. I love noodles. I was also ter- told on your birthday you eat noodles for longevity. Yes, because they're long. Yes, I guess it used to my, be my wife. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead, go ahead. Sorry, it used to be where you have to eat like it. The, your birthday noodle is going to be different from the regular noodles that you eat on not your birthday oh. days um the birthday noodle would be just one long noodle and you have to find wow. a way to finish it without cutting it now that people it's not so rigid anymore but that was i had mm. i did that maybe like twice in my in my life of course it's not like 10 meter long noodles this is a short one <laughs> summer uh this was many years ago i didn't know what she was doing it was like 2013 or 2014 she gave me a really long noodle and she said you need to eat this because it's your birthday i had no yeah. idea idea anything about Chinese culture customs. And so I immediately chopped it into pieces and she was like, no! What are you doing, Jason? I was like, how am I supposed to eat this? This one giant noodle. So I'm like cutting it up. And she's like, no, you can't cut it up. You just have to eat it. I'm like, how am I supposed to eat one giant noodle? You just just keep feeding it in your mouth as you're kind of chewing and you hold the noodle with your your lips. What's the Lady and the Tramp? Remember that? The two dogs were the I've never watched that movie. I know. I need to catch up on that. I've seen all the Disney movies. You're listening to The Bridge.
you know, one of the things I've learned about China mm. is just like you said, North and South, I think it's even more diverse than that. Yeah. Oftentimes I, f- I meet some people from like a, a particular city and I'll say, oh, you believe da 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 da. And they're like, no, my people from my city don't believe. And so, okay, different people from the same city will have completely different concepts of tradition about the same concepts in China. Yeah. So there's an extremely diverse tapestry ritual that exists between families and between cities and towns and groups of people and, you know, different. So I always wanted to ask you, what does your family do, uh, you know, mm. for Qingming festivals specifically? What kind of what, what are you going to do? What is your mom going to do? What is your family tradition? So this is the kind of the modern day story for some people. Uh, like I said, so people in my hometown are not very we mostly just sweep the tomb. So because my mm. my parents come from my mom comes from a small village that's pretty far from where we live. So it's hard for her to go back there. Um, but on that day, we'll mostly just talk to our family members, uh, family members who still live close and they will go um, and visit my grandparents' tomb. And um, we basically just send each other a greeting. I remember burning papers with my parents when I was younger. We would do mm-hmm. that. Um, but of course, we talked about this. There's another, there's another uh, day in the year in the Chinese calendar where you do that as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I remember doing that as a kid from a very young age, but not after I grew up a little bit. We kind of didn't do that anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, also because, you know, life gets really busy and we mm-hmm. just didn't want to. It's really important to kind of just check in with your family if you can't be there physically mm-hmm. and you would tell each other because that this day is not just to commemorate the ancestors. It's also a day where you want to bring what the ancestors or your family members have left behind for you, you know, spiritually or emotionally, whatever, and carry that and look forward to the future and really just remember the remember and cherish your memory with them so the thoughts are always there for sure but for what i know from what i see actually the weekend before Qingming Festival or a couple weekends before Qingming Festival, usually in big cities like Beijing, Shanghai probably as well, the traffic gets really, really bad because there are a lot of people who are going back to their hometown to do Tomb Sweeping Day. And it's a huge, huge tradition. Everything shows in the traffic. If it's a festival, it shows in the traffic. And people would go to where they come from to do the Tomb Sweeping rituals and just be with their family, even if it's just a very short day or two. But recent years, recent years, because we understand, people understand as well. And I think that's one of the reasons why my parents don't really do it. It is, we can't deny the fact that it is a little dangerous if everybody comes out on the street to burn money on the same day. So the government has been trying to recommend people to do it like a digital version of burning joss papers or lighting up, oh. lighting up incense for your, uh, for your, you know, your ancestors, your family members. And um, then if you do want to do that, like they encourage you to go to, you know, the cemeteries that's kind of outside of the city or there's like mm. sites that, that are designated for you to do that so that it's safer for everybody. And also just overall burning Joss paper, the government just wants people to give people alternatives. Again, this is not saying we need to stop doing this. They want to give people alternatives so that if you feel a little bad about, you know, burning paper in public because of if it think about the number of people we have, everybody is doing that. It's going to do something to the to the to the air. So the government wants to give people different options. And if you so the government hosts websites as well for you to do it digitally or, or you know, different ways to mark your respect 
for your families. Mm. I recently had um, a Twitter discussion where I was talking about, I, I said, what do retirees in China do? And so people made a list and I, I put a list up too. So there, you know, there was kite flying and like fishing and all these other things. One of the comments below was, oh, Chinese people can't fish in Beijing and Shanghai. Those what? big cities have. And so I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. It was okay. I'll prove it to you. Exactly. I, I'll promise to go out and take some video of people fishing in Beijing to show you that this is real. Yeah. So just a two or three days ago, I I walked along the canals for like 15,000 steps and I got footage of like 20. Yeah. I, I have to say they were all men. There was not a single female among them. Huh. They were all, 20 men, retirees, clearly, you know, older than 60, were fishing. But what I also noticed were, was that in the canals, because it's a very safe place, there's water and there's not a lot of trees and plants, except if you go up the hill a little bit, there were like a lot more of those markers on the ground where people take a chalk circle where they're going to burn their Joss paper than there are on the streets. Mm. So one thing I've noticed in Beijing, you know, is that I think people spend more of their time, more people gravitate towards these safer places right next to the canals mm. on in this concrete embankment where there's no way that the fire could spread. And that's primarily where people seem to be burning Joss paper because there are marks on the ground in Beijing in the streets yeah. that there were far more mark, you know, these chalk outlines with the burny, burned like a ash in the middle yeah. in the canal areas than there were on the streets. So I think that is probably... Probably one of the places in Beijing, at least, that people have been gravitating towards because, you know, a lot of Beijing is ancient wood museums, you know, like temples and complexes. And so, yeah, if you had like a million people rush outside to start burning Joss paper, mm. there could be some danger there. So I can understand why alternate traditions are being encouraged. Yeah. Because certainly you wouldn't want to burn down like a Taoist temple from like a thousand years exactly. ago because, yeah, that, that would just not go over well. Yeah. And also, like, I feel I feel like now we're, we're talking about it because we, you know, you've seen it multiple times and your your wife's family is Chinese and I grew I grew up in this culture. So, you know, what we're doing here is we want to be the bridge. And there are a lot of a lot of the times things get miscommunicated because we're talking about it because we know we can visualize what mm -hmm. it is. But I, mm -hmm. I can't help but thinking there are going to be people out there. Yeah, go ahead. Hearing, Please give us a more thorough description. Just hearing we're saying, oh my God, people are going on the street to burn stuff. Um, it sounds crazy. It sounds, it's not, it's not. Like Jason said, you have, you draw a very small circle, very small. Like when I say very small, it's like manhole kind of size um, circle. Mm, maybe even a little smaller. Even than a little manhole. smaller yeah. than yeah. that. And then when we say we burn Joss money, um, usually you will go, you buy like just a little stack of it. It's nothing. Mm -hmm. It's not crazy. It's not like everybody's bringing like, you know, a whole truck of stuff to burn on the street just to, mm. I just want to make that very clear. And it's a very, even though in some cities or, uh, you know, in couple like in a decade or two decades ago, more people do it on the street. It still feels kind of intimate because you're doing it in your own little circle. And then, of course, there's mm. ways of like when you look at the ashes, what if it's some way if the, if it burns by itself all the way to ashes, that means like people like to believe that all of their they're missing their love and, and their thoughts have been passed to the other side with the mm. money. So there's there's like a little stuff like that, but it's it's just a very semi 
private thing that you would do? May I ask uh, the, uh, I guess this is the obvious question for foreigners, especially who have never been to China. Uh-huh. What happens to the money in the afterworld? You can use it. So your great, 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 great grandpas, like you guess your ancestors are divvying up the money and they're like, yay, we have got our allowance for the year. Yeah. And then they go and spend it in like heaven shops. Yeah. And people actually get really creative about what they burn. Um, Nowadays, especially with mm-hmm. technology going on, you know, when I remember there was like a news article, but this is many, many years ago when iPhone first became a thing, people would make paper iPhones wow. and send it to their ancestors so that they they could use it on the other end. So it's do you, you need know, to burn paper telecommunications equipment to make sure that they have a network to connect? <laughs> Sorry, I'm nervous. It was, the, it, it was the elephant in the room that needed yes. to be addressed. Yes, but that, that, but you know what? This is a thing. Even though it's a day to to remember your ancestors or your 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 deceased uh, family members, it's also people are not get like I said, people are not being like. Uh, super all sad and and dark about this day. Mm-hmm. So that's why there there are things like this going around. You know, I want to. It's a it's a way of looking at life if you really think about it. It's how Chinese people look at our life and and how we exist. What's the essence of our existence in the universe? I know it sounds really grand, but mm-hmm. we like to think that after someone leaves this world, there is a place for them, and it's not really just called heaven. It's not called whatever. Really, if you talk to Chinese uh, people, like, you know, uh, local Chinese people, when they describe it, they say it on the other side. Mm. Like, I hope. Oh, yeah. I think there are different traditions, too, because my wife is a the primary vein of Buddhism in China, mm. but it's also comes from like the Nepal area. And it's just like uh, it's based on tons and tons of sutras. And she believes there's a place called Western Paradise, which is, you know, like another world where Buddha lives. And in this world, when you go there, you're born inside of a lotus flower. Mm. The lotus flower mm. opens up and you're, you're born inside and that's your home. And you can have you have infinite powers and all this stuff to like fly around and be happy. And like you could come back to the earth and watch your relatives and make sure mm. they're safe. And she is described to I don't want to go into g- massive detail, but, you know, there are also different levels of like Taoist thinking about where you yeah. go, including like there's like a hellish kind of place. If you go to some of the temples here, you can see what it looks looks like in fact. Mm. And so I I think there are many different competing ideas in different families and different cities and different religions in China. And so I think it's not always just simple it, it gets very difficult for us to describe what it means what is Chinese culture because Chinese culture isn't one thing. Yeah. You know, you have China is home to an enormous Muslim population. There are more mosques here in China than some uh, other countries. Yeah. So uh, like that, you would assume that there were there were fewer. But in fact, there are there's at least four in Beijing that I've been to. So then you have their idea of the afterlife. And then you have Christians. I know there are Catholic uh, churches yeah. and, and other, other forms of Christian churches all over China. I see them all the time. I've seen at least 10 hmm. here in Beijing personally. And so you've got Taoists, you've got Buddhists, you've got Christians, you've got Muslims, you've got all kinds of different religions existing side by side. Hmm. So I think it's challenging sometimes for us when we're trying to describe, well, what is China like? Because, you know, if you're an American or someone from England or France, you assume that there is like one kind of monolithic idea of Chinese culture. That is so and the not. the reality is, yeah, it's so not. It's it. How many ethnicities? It's 56 different ethnicities. 50, uh, six, 56 different ethnicities. Yeah. 
So including Han. So that's, yeah. that's 55 plus Han, which is the, the major dominant yeah. one. But but each one of them have their own traditions, their own ideas, their own concepts. Some of them have bled across each other. I should say diffused. Yeah. So you have the idea of what is her Nuwa? Yes. Right? This, the this, uh, the magical. Well, go the, ahead. The the you goddess go. who who created human in Chinese mythology. Right. And in some ethnicities, she's like the primary deity. Yeah. And in other aspects parts of China. She's just a myth or even a smaller god among many. So you have, it's just a range of different ways of arranging hierarchies of what Chinese culture is. I think that's actually one of the things that I like about China. Yeah. Because it's not there's China. It's that there are many, many Chinas in China. You know, the, you know what I mean? there, there's one saying in Confucius that Confucius believed that mm. the best state of a country, or back then mm. they called it, he called it under the sky, under under the mm. heaven, like everyone who exists here. The best state for us to exist on this earth is to be different, but in harmony. Individually, everybody mm. is different, mm. but we are existing together. We're we're coexisting in harmony. Mm. And that's kind of mm. what Chinese culture really is. Uh, even for just one on the same day, there are going to be different uh, customs that are observed in different parts of China. But the idea of what that day is, the spirits mm. of that day is very much similar wherever you are, what different things you do. For Chinese New Year, the Northern people eat dumplings and the south the southern people eat mm. niangao or they eat hot pot whatever but the meaning of that day the spirit of that day of that festival is shared among this community and i think that's beautiful i think that's great i want to share yeah I, I think that is beautiful too i agree with you completely and i was thinking about a piano and keys being played i was thinking about the the metaphor Ooh. of harmony but i want to tell you something interesting i read that i guess this is more of a guangdong thing or maybe not you know because that's how complex it is uh -huh. That the fish in Chinese New Year or the eve of Chinese New Year needs to be faced at the highest ranking member of the family. Uh -huh. And so I, <laughs> I went to my wife's home yeah. this Chinese New Year, this year, 2023, and she put a huge fish on the table amongst all the other, you know, uh, plates. Her mom. We had the fish there, and I thought, okay, I guess grandma's here. So I took the fish and I pointed it at oh. grandma. And then, like, my wife's mother, yeah. lovely lady, so nice, she was like, no. Yeah. She pointed it to the north. Yeah. And she's like, in this family, the fish needs to be pointing the north. And I was like, I don't I mean, I still to this day, I don't really know why, but it was clear that, like, my concept from one idea of what it means to be Chinese didn't translate into my wife's family. Yeah. They have their own specific meaning for why the fish needs to be pointed towards the north. So that's one of the complex things about trying to engage with a culture that is so complex is that traditions are very unique it to is very, niche places and families. Yeah, yeah, because you are in in other parts of uh China, I think if you do if you did that in the northeast, people would be like, "Ooh, this this guy knows Chinese culture very well because in the north we do tend to point the fish's head to the most important person at the table or the most respected mm. person at the table." Mm -hmm. I think yeah, it's just it's just so diverse and that's one of the things that makes living in China an exciting experience even 10 years later because even though I've read books about Chinese culture I've been <laughs> basically ev yeah every page of that I it was like 101 insights into Chinese culture something like that someone wrote a book called yeah. like that I can't remember the exact name it's in my other uh, apartment yeah and I was like oh great now I know and then I basically every single one of those 101 things has been disproven you came here you're like oh my... no I don't know <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, everything in the book was like, sure, it's true for some group of people somewhere. Yeah. But it wasn't true like for everyone, even some of all the time or some of the time or sometimes never. Like, so it's it's amazing how much culture exists in this one nation, this one group of people, because it's not it, it's it's just an it's infinite seeming. Yeah. I mean, it's like learning a language. You're taught all right. the rules. And then you realize once you really start to speak the language, all the rules are meant to be just broken. There's very rare occasions where the rule is going to be observed. <laughs> uh, yeah, you probably English in America for sure. Like instead of how are you today? People are just going to be like, hey, what's, what's up? up? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Very true. Yeah. So then you're like, that's not in my textbook. What's up? Uh, I guess the ceiling is up. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> oh, Jason. <laughs> I love how actually that's one of the things I love about being in China is because people say, hey, how's it going? And people in America are like, hey, how's it going? Mm. And that's it. It's over. But in China, if I say, hey, how's it going? People start telling me how it's going. <laughs> like, yeah. oh, OK, sure. I'll listen. That's why it's still so awkward for me now at work when we're doing online meetings my overseas colleagues would start the conversation with oh so how are you how are you doing how's it going and i always feel super pressure to come up with something very concrete <laughs> to tell them otherwise I, I don't know how to respond to it especially when it's online you're gonna just mm. stare at each other's faces if you don't provide any information with value add you know it's like i have to tell them mm. something that's solid Otherwise, wow! You, the way you threw just threw value add out like that—that's <laughs> once you work in <laughs> companies like that for a little bit, you know, you get because you know actually when I was training. Uh, how to use Twitter. I took courses. I actually ha have a certificate how to use Twitter. Oh, wow. Basically, the idea was, because this is true across all social media, add value. You know, one of the things you see in comments are like, oh, that's cool, or I agree, or 100% or something like that. And no one cares because that's not adding value. Yeah. So if you want people to care about your comment, you need to say, oh, that's really insightful. And then say some more piece of information or a different insight or a different way of looking at the same topic or add, you know, a different link that adds to the conversation. Mm. So if you want to be one of the people that's tracking that people are interested in their comments, you have to value add, add value to comments as you're progressing through the conversation. Otherwise, you just get ignored because if you're like, wow, that's cool. I agree with you. Yeah. People are like, thank you. And then they ignore you because there's nothing there. There's no context to build from. Yeah. I mean, you kind of just have to string up something. Otherwise, it gets very awkward. And then just for second language speakers, even it's, it's even worse. I think. So, okay. I want to tell you another story because I think things are done differently by different people. Yeah. So in my wife's family, mm. I, I went to her grandmother's house. My, my grandmother no longer lives in her home. She lives with my wife's mother and father for, you know, taking care, to take of, care of her. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's a different town, in fact. But so she's well taken care of. But this was many years ago when she was still living independently. Mm. And she was living in the countryside in one of those traditional homes that were built in the 1950s or 60s. Yeah. That's like a giant shoebox with two rooms. You know what, yes, what I'm talking exactly. about? Yes, it, exactly. Uh, I'm describing it very badly. So it's it's, not, it doesn't. It's, it's, a, it's a concrete building with a traditional roof and it has windows. Yeah, it everything. actually has big windows and very bright yeah, yeah. <laughs> shoebox. And it has like a stove in the center yes. and you can put uh, he heating goes under the yes. floor and you sit on this raised platform where that gets warm and you can sleep there and you can also sit there and dine there. Yeah. And anyways, she had two of these side by side and they were in the same small parcel of land yeah. in the countryside. 
And she lived alone at the time. This is many, many years ago. And she lived in one of them that was well taken care of mm. and had a TV in it and everything. And then there was another one that was like kind of a thatch roof and it was less taken care of. And it had like, you know, just like hay and stuff yeah. in it from like, you know, farming and things. And they we were staying one night there. So they put us in the thatch roof room, yeah. which I was fine with, except for the spider that was oh, watching no. me all night <laughs> because I'm arachnophobic. But I was cool with it. But what I noticed is in this second home that she had, there was a small altar to her past husband. Yeah. To my to my wife's grandfather. Yeah. And so there's a little like um, altar kind of to him with candles next to it and incense sometimes burning. Yeah. So like different times people would come in and they would make sure to that straighten everything yeah. and make sure it was clean. So it wasn't that just tomb sweeping day happened like once a year. Yeah. But that this altar was maintained year round. Yeah. And that people would go in and and even like, I don't know, I don't think the word pray translates correctly, but like bow and like yeah. you know, send wishes to him. And I even know that there was another altar set up for him or another relative nearby mm. yeah. on the top of a hill that people didn't go to much. But there was a little altar there also. And that my my wife even set up an electronic solar panel ran chanting box. Oh, there. wow. So. So in Buddhism, you chant and you say things like Nama Amitabha Tofu over yeah, and over yeah, again. Yeah. So she set up a solar panel that would feed this little electronic device that was protected from the elements that would constantly be chanting like Nama Amitabha Tofu oh, like yeah, yeah. year round, 365 days. So it's not that there's just one day where people honor their relatives, but it seems like among most you know, Chinese folks that mm. you meet, honoring the people's ancestors is something that's integral to their lives. Definitely. It happens all the time. Yeah. For I was wondering, go ahead. For, for my family, my mom does this. Um, like, again, even in my family, it's very different. My mom does it. My dad doesn't really. Every Chinese New Year um, mm -hmm. or every other like important festivals, if we're celebrating it, because now we live in Beijing now, um, but my mom's family and my dad's family are back in Dongbei, so we can't just always be together for every festival. But in important ones like Chinese New Year, my mom would, before we start eating our big feast, my mom would pour a tiny cup of Baijiu, Chinese Baijiu, mm. um, and put it over there in the center of the living room uh, against the wall in the center of this longer table we have. And then she would light the tiny glass of Baijiu and that would that mm. Baijiu will be dedicated to her dad, my grand my grandfather mm. who passed away uh, four years ago. Um, and then every festival she would do that. But like my, my dad's dad also passed away, but he doesn't really do it. But sometimes when my mom would say this is for my dad and, and my husband's dad and just just a quick little word. And they believe that this could send the word to people wherever they are. And interesting enough, you know, we talk about flying uh, for people who fly kites during a uh, teaming mm -hmm. festival. It also was used as a way to kind of when you fly kites on that day or around that time. into the sky. Yeah, you're, you, you, you're, people would say what they wanted to say to um, their and to their to their family members who passed away. And they believed that the kite could bring their to carry, carry their messages to people that they wanted oh. to talk to. So it's actually a very, it's a very kind of a romantic way of communicating or remembering the people that you once loved. Uh, many years ago, I think it was around 2014 again, my wife and I went to, because she, she goes to Buddhist temples very often. And when we first met, she thought, this is great. I'm going to convert Jason to Buddhism, which, you know, 
didn't happen. Uh. But <laughs> she brought me to this Buddhist temple in Tianjin. Yeah. And we we took a bus with all these other really happy Buddhists. And they were like such like they <clears throat> seemed like the biggest group of most innocent, kind people I'd ever seen in my life, by the way. Yeah. They were all vegetarians and they were all like, you know, lying is bad, never lie. And they were like all telling. Anyway, so we went on this bus full of these pure hearted people to this place in the countryside just next to Tianjin City. Yeah. And we went to this fairly new Buddhist temple that wasn't an ancient temple, but had been built in the last 50 years. And it was, you know, enormous. And someday, I'm sure thousands of years from now, people will be visiting it and saying, wow, this was built in, you know, 2010 or whatever. Mm. <laughs> and we went inside and there were these huge statues of Buddha and people were praying. But one of the activities that took up a large part of our time, and there were actually a lot of activities, like for example, there was a lake nearby. We went on the bus and people released fish into the lake mm, yeah, yeah, because yeah. Uh, it's like freeing them from the potential being eaten. They had gone to a wet market yeah. and bought these fish that, and then and, put and them back on the puns. Yeah, yeah. that were intended to be eaten and they bought them for a fair value and brought them to this lake and released them yeah. as like a way to spare them. Yes. And then we went back to the temple and after everyone was finished praying to the, you know, in their temples, we all wrote down on pieces of yellow paper, the addresses and names of important people in our lives that had passed. Now I didn't participate because I, I thought that would be inappropriate, like cultural appropriation or something. Mm. But my wife insisted that I tell her my own address and the name of relatives of mine that had died. And I said, mm. why do you need my address? Yeah. And she said, it was so Buddhas can find your relatives. And I was like, okay. So I gave address and they, 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 she wrote all this down of all the people I could remember in my family that had passed. Yeah. And she put it on, on with other people that we knew, even just like people we knew and relatives, their relatives that had passed that we knew about and animals names and all kinds of things. And then we uh, went to this giant pyre, a very large pyre. So it was a, you know, it's much larger than the little tiny ones people have in the street. Everyone put all of their paper together and it was a mm. mound as tall as me and as wide as me if I was laying on the ground. Yeah. And then they burned this and all of the people stood around praying in, you know, I don't know if the word praying, chanting, yeah. doing sutras mm. uh, for maybe an hour or so. And then everyone was really, really happy. And then we went to eat vegetarian food where we all had to help clean up and cook together. Mm. It was very, very interesting. You know, so I mean, there are different ways that these this is done. And so if someone did, I, I say I tell this story because if someone did see a very large pyre of yeah. burning Joss paper or something, question why, what is it? You know, don't just believe what you see on social media. I, I don't believe anything you see on social media just off the get-go. Yeah, don't believe anything. Seriously, yeah. I can't. When when we, when we when I saw the preparation for today's episode, it's really, I almost wanted to, to laugh because of how unbelievably ridiculous that this is. And then that it's something that people really do believe. And of course, with recent, some new articles that I, I was reading on what Western, not even just social media, Western media in general. And, you know, as a Chinese person, again, we're we're doing this every week. We want to talk about the stories that are happening here. We want to introduce what Jason's seeing as an American living in China and, and me as someone who lived in the U.S. now is lived back, uh, living in China. We want to introduce what we're seeing, but... I just wish that our show could reach more people. And mm. when after you listen to our show, when you see titles like this or tweets like this in social media, you could just at least nudge others towards the right direction just a little bit. Mm. Just a little bit. You're listening to The Bridge. 
I want to throw one tiny more question out for you. And then I want to I want to add something that I did as a mistake to kind of end the show. Mm. So what colors are you what are generally associated with funerals or uh, when a relative passes? Because in the West, it's black. It's black and white. Yeah. Yeah, Because I think that white is a different color in the West generally. But there Mm. are people do wear white shirts with their black tie and suit and things. Yeah. Yeah. I guess it's similar in that way. I recently was wearing a Song Dynasty gown to work because I like to dress up. I'm into cosplay. Mm. And, I, and my boss was like, I love that you love dressing up, but you need to be aware that your gown, you know, it was bright red and it had like different uh, colors. It was beautiful. But he was like, there are animals on your gown that are associated with death culture. And I was like, what? And he's like, so you see that oh. uh, you have a single, uh, what is it? It's not a swan. What's the name of it? Crane. A single crane that's stretched out flying towards the sky. And he said, that means funerals or death. And I was like, really? I I thought that because I had read in other places that two cranes together means like, you know, social cohesion and wisdom and all these other things. And that's why emperors wore it. He's like, you're right. But this isn't two cranes. This is one crane elongated toward the sky, which means it has to do with death and it has to do with your family member successfully flying off. Exactly. There's a there's a way of describing your uh, senior family members in your in your house and your family when they pass away we say they have written the crane to ascend to the west uh, the west it goes back to what i was saying about the western paradise mm-hmm. anyways there's so much going on in chinese culture that even if one understands a little bit there's always so much more there and that's I, that's why I, I was telling that story so mm. it gets very it can be complicated and so I think that's kind of the beauty of it, too. All right. We're out of time. Do you have any last comments, Alex? Um, I believe just, you know, in the upcoming Qingming Festival, if you want to talk to your Chinese friends who observe this holiday, this festival, they are probably happy to tell you more about it. And if you're just interested about the the green rice ball that I mentioned, it's very it's a very tasty dessert that only comes out mm-hmm. around this time of the year. So grab one and have a taste. Thank you for listening. And thank you for your time, Alex. Thank you, Jason.